Hi, I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer R. Levin, and I'm a traumatic grief therapist and founder of Therapy Heals, where we help organizations and individuals prepare and heal from sudden or unexpected death. And in my podcast, Untethered, Healing the Pain from Sudden Death, I share resources and stories to help you go from the chaos of sudden or unexpected death to move towards healing in your life. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Untethered, Healing the Pain from a Sudden Death. I'm Dr. Jennifer Levin, and I specialize in traumatic death and helping individuals through the struggles, pain, trauma, and chaos of an unexpected death. In the previous podcast of Untethered, I interviewed Tammy Millard, whose husband died suddenly riding his mountain bike the day before their daughter's 16th birthday. In today's podcast, I talk with Tammy's daughter, Anya, now 19, about to be 20, almost four years since the day her father died. Anya's interview not only provides another perspective about what happened after her father died, but it's also insight into the adolescent grief experience after the sudden death of a parent. During our time together, we explore her perception of how grief impacted her mom and how their relationship together has evolved through grief and time. Anya shares her thoughts about what she describes as not being able to have an adult relationship with her dad and the importance of grace and time in the healing process from traumatic grief. Anya, hi and welcome. I am really glad that you're here with us today. So um, let's just jump in and why don't you start and tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your hobbies, your interests, any of that stuff. I'll let you take it away. Uh, My name is Anya. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I'm currently in college in Walla Walla, Washington, studying religious studies uh, and art history. Um, I'd like to go into archival work or library studies or museum collections. Haven't quite narrowed down a path yet, but that's sort of the sort of the dream. Um, I have an interest in Los Angeles history. It's sort of been a personal passion. I've been getting into urban planning, which I didn't think would ever happen. And it's kind of the most boring part about me, but (laughs) (laughs) that as well. Uh, yeah, I've lived here in California for most of my life, but I've become a Washington, Washingtonian as of, as of late. Yay. Um, what are some of the things you like to do when you are, um, not in school? Um, I like to read, uh, I like to watch very long YouTube video essays about politics and film and culture. Uh, I like to watch movies and TV. I've been a big, I wish I was more of a film bro, but I'm not, (laughs) but yeah. Great. Well, I appreciate you taking time um, to talk with us today and um, just really glad to have you here. So um, earlier this month, the uh, podcast interview with your mom aired and she described her grief journey um, as a wife and as a single parent after the unexpected death of her husband, Kyron, who was your father. And, um, you know, it's always really interesting when somebody's willing to 
provide a different perspective in the same family, and especially to get someone your age. Um, I love to get young voices to come and talk as well. So let me start by asking you, um, what do you remember about the day that your dad died? Um, I was in my sophomore year of high school. Um, and it was the day before my birthday. So I just had the night before a party with a lot of my friends. We had this big sleepover. Um, and my dad had made breakfast burritos for everybody in the morning. He was a big cook. He loved to do that. Um, and he and my mom went out to do some sort of like regular errands. And I stayed behind because I had a couple essays to write. You were turning um, 16, right? Yes. Yeah. It was the day before my 16th birthday. Um and he went out for, we came back and or my parents came back and he went out for a bike ride and he came to my door um, and he knocked on my door, but he didn't open it. And he just said, you know, I'm going on a short ride and I'll be back probably around six. Um, and he left. And that was the last time I ever heard him. He, uh, it, it just kept getting later and later in the night. And my mom and I were a little worried. Um, sometimes he would, you know, stay out a little bit later and he would always pick up calls for me. Sometimes he wouldn't pick up a call from my mom, but he would pick up a call for me. So uh, we were both calling him and my mom finally got somebody to pick up and we were like, oh, okay, he's fine. Um, and it was a police sergeant who had found the phone on his body, um, his unidentified body, which had uh, come in, I think about two hours earlier. I think this was around 6 p.m. Um, when he passed out on a trail on a bike ride. Uh, on that bike ride. Um, and at first I thought like, maybe he's just like broken a leg and that's, that's why we're getting this call. Uh, but then I believe she just said he died like that. Like she just had responded to what the police sergeant said. Um, and I, I don't even remember like my first reaction. All I just remember is like, I had this moment where, um, I thought like, if I don't have a response, then it's not going to be real. Mm. Like I felt like I was in a play. Um, and I just like started screaming. My mom describes it as like a whale, um, mm. which sounds very dramatic, but I guess dramatic situation. <laughs> There's any time to be dramatic. Um, I kind of just like fell to the floor. Um, and my mom and I sort of like trying to figure out what to do. And um, we I think she called her mom. She called my grandma and we went to the hospital. Um, yeah, I mean, lots of like little moments, moments from that night. Like I, I remember calling my, my youth leader at church and walking the hospital hallways with her and eating apple slices that somebody brought. And I, you know, trying to decide if I wanted to see his body and like weird little moments like that. But that's that's sort of the the night. Yeah. It's amazing what you hold on to from that. Yeah. Yeah. What do you remember about those initial brief experiences just right in the immediate aftermath? I mean, it didn't really feel real to mm -hmm. me. I mean, his health had been sort of like had been weird for a long time. His heart health had been kind of up and down, but I don't think my parents had shared a lot of it with me. Hmm. Um, I knew that he would take his blood pressure every night. I didn't even know he was on like a uh, heart medication. Um, so there was like little things, but I, I knew that it was starting to get kind of shaky. 
I don't think I knew that it was it was where it was where it was at where he could have possibly died, but um, I knew it was getting shaky, but like nowhere near enough that I would have I would have ever thought or been prepared for him to just you know pass it on a bike trail. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I I like that comment about like it, it feeling like I, I was in a play. It just it felt like I had a a, a role I had to play essentially, yeah. um, or like things that I felt like I had to do to make it feel real because it didn't feel real. Um, just like bursting out crying at, at random moments and then being fine again, and you know, I wasn't like inconsolable. I was still thinking and talking and having conversations, but you know, feeling that just like deep pit of dread in my stomach the whole time. Yeah. Um, you said there were things you felt like you had to do to make it real. What do you mean by that? I feel like there were just, there were things that like, I knew from, from film or, you know, from, from films or TV that like people did when they first heard that somebody was, was dying or, or was dead that like, I felt like, um, I had to perform to like make the experience true, which for something that felt like I was, I was acting in, I don't know why I felt like I had to like um, fulfill a part that feels like that would, um, I don't know, make, make that, make that feeling of it being a play more real, but it was sort of the opposite, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, things like, like like yelling or I don't know like leaning on mom like there's I'm sure there's a lot of it that I I don't remember but just that 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 feeling of like unreality the whole night um was really really strong and I think was really strong for I mean a while but especially that first week absolutely what was it like to to watch your mom grieve during that time as well. I mean, here's dad's gone and I'm sure mom was pretty compromised as well. Mm -hmm. I think that first night was sort of, um, it, initially at first we're sort of just like getting through what we needed to get done. Yeah. So going to the hospital, seeing his body, calling his dad, you know, I, I'm actually, I believe she called um, my grandpa first before she called her mom you know, little things like that. Um, sending paperwork because he came in unidentified to the hospital. He came in John Doe because he wasn't carrying any identification, which was a whole nother mess um, that took like a month to, to have to deal with. Um, but uh, so, but, but after that first night, um, she just like didn't sleep. Um, I remember her like being up late at night, like going over passwords because mm -hmm. she was really worried about like the passwords that he had written down and making sure that all the immediate financial stuff was lined up. Um, but I think it got really hard like that week after, sort of the day after. Um, she basically just spent a week um in this like one fuzzy 
sweatshirt thing uh, and sweatpants and just laying on the couch. And she would only eat one kind of yogurt and she would only drink tea. Um, and she would just like drift from the couch to her room mm-hmm. for like a week. And that was awful to see. Um, but I felt like I couldn't tell her to like snap out of it or anything because like, why would I do that? That's awful. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, she did, I mean, she didn't sort of snap out of it, so to speak, until I, I sort of made a comment about her, her teeth because she's someone or about her breath. Cause she's someone who's like religiously brushed her teeth every day of her life, two times a day, never slipped up once in her life. She's got a strong nose. So she cares a lot about like how, how your breath smells. But like, I, I just made a comment to her about like, oh, your, your breath smells bad. And it, it was like it snapped out. It snapped her out of it in some way. And mm-hmm. she was like, oh, I have to like get my myself together and like be more present here. But that first week, I mean, I, I kind of made her get rid of that sweatshirt that she wore because she kept it for like another year. And I finally told her, I was like, I hate that thing. Can you like, can you get rid of it? Like, it, it's just bad, bad, bad memories. Like, all I can see is you like laying on the couch just eating like I think it was like passion fruit yogurt or something must have been actually really scary to see her yeah yeah I mean I think I'd seen my mom cry twice in my life before that so that was that was rough I mean my dad was probably more more stoic than she was my mom has always been a very like emotional like very feeling deep feeling person but um, seeing her sort of stuck like that and not following the sort of like rituals and routines that have made up her life. Um, she's someone who's always kind of relied on, on routine. Um, you know, has done the same makeup for years, has, you know, very, very committed to like, she's a, she's a shower every day, brush your teeth every day. I know that's the, that's what we all aspire to, but let's be, you know, the truth of, of living um but yeah just to see her to slip out of those those routines was just yeah that was hard yeah well his death really shattered her world and um I mean she I mean she talks about in in our interview just of how I mean once she did get back on her feet how she just delved so deeply into um learning about her grief and and processing Mm -hmm. And I want to talk with you about that um, a little bit. But once things started to kind of, oh, I don't know, create a new normal, what was it like in the house with dad's absence? How did it feel for you? Um, I mean, it's tricky because he passed away early February, so February 2nd. And um, I think both of us, both of, so my mom works at a school and I was obviously in high school at the time and this was 2020. So like, or like mid March, 2020, both of us went home and then we just didn't go back to school for about like what, two years. So we sort of just like lived in this tiny, I think our, our house was 1400 square feet. So we just like lived in this small, the same pretty small space together for like two years as we dealt with just whatever came up. Um, And that was uh, awful. (laughs) Um, Probably not as bad as it could have been, 
but not great. Um, but I, I will always give props to my mom for how much I feel like she stepped up and started. She was not the cook in our family. My dad loved cooking. Like he loved cooking. I think it was his primary way, like way of showing, showing his love for the two of us as somebody who was not a very verbose man. Um, especially when it came to affection and pride. Um, even if you could feel it. Uh, so cooking was sort of his way of showing it. Um, but my mom really like stepped up in, in taking care of, of that. I think that's the primary thing I think of, but, and just being, being my parent in a way that, um, I've heard from other people my age in my life who have lost a parent, um, didn't, did not experience the same thing from, from their parents, from their remaining parent. Um, so I give her props to that. Um, the two of us like both share this experience where we sort of feel like he kind of just vanished. Mm. Like neither of us have ever really felt like we felt, you know, maybe every once in a while we're like, Oh, you know, I could, I can sort of hear him saying this to me, but I don't think either of us have ever talked about feeling like, like we feel his spirit or that he lingered in the house. You know, I think we both sort of felt like he just vanished out of existence. And I think sometimes it even felt like he wasn't, he hadn't, ever even been there just with the way like I mean I'm glad my mom stepped up but I think because for almost everything there just wasn't a hole mm. that in so many like there wasn't you know maybe there was one like you know emotionally or you know spiritually in some sense but like practically there wasn't a hole where he was missing and so I think it, sometimes it felt like he he hadn't have ever like left a mark, a practical mark on our lives or on on at least on, I don't know, my everyday life. Even though he obviously had like, I don't even know if I have great words for it. It was just a really strange experience of feeling like he was so necessary to to my life and to my everyday experience and to getting food at the end of the day <laughs> to like just almost never having ever existed. Wow. It was just a, a strange transition that I don't know if I, I fully have words for. It's a difficult phenomenon to describe. Yeah. yeah. And I like, I, I guess I, I worry it makes it sound like I don't value him or like, I don't feel, I, I don't feel his missing presence. Like it's not that it's just, I don't know, practically, yeah, practically versus sort of like emotionally. Um, yeah. And I know from some of the other things that we talked about, there's definitely been reflection and ways that you feel him, but I'm hearing the day-to-day -day things. I mean, life had to go on and yeah. you, I mean, I've done things about how the family unit restructures itself and changes roles and it sounds like you and mom then especially with covid found a way to restructure those roles uh, yeah. so that everybody's needs were met yeah did you have other people checking in on you seeing how you were doing uh yeah i mean my mom and i were really lucky really lucky to have a pretty big support system especially on her side i mean i had a, a great number of wonderful friends, but they were also all 16, 17 year olds, which I think you can only extend a certain amount of <laughs> sympathy and understanding from that position of your life at that age. Some people were better at it than others. 
Um, I think as much as I appreciated that support system, I also was really frustrated by it. Because my my mom is an educational therapist and all of the people in her life were counselors and therapists themselves. Um, or just extremely well-meaning people who all really wanted to adults who all really wanted to know how I was, how I was actually doing. Was I actually okay? Which is really frustrating because <laughs> it's like, I don't want to be vulnerable to this one adult right now. Like you don't need to know how I'm feeling after my dad has just passed away. I understand the the intent. Um, but I kind of want you to leave me alone. <laughs> Can you accept it? I'm fine and let's move on. You know, you're not my therapist. I pay somebody to, to take this. I don't know. I, I feel like from what I've heard um, through my own experience with people my age and through what my mom has learned that like a lot of teenagers and adolescents don't have traditional sort of grief experiences. We're not like, I mean, across, obviously not across the board, but we're not like weepy. We're not like broken people in many ways. And I think the way that people expect us to grieve and I think the way that I've, at least I can speak from my experience, I think I felt like I could be that person, but like only in a really like safe, safe space that I felt like maybe not, not just safe, but designated space where it felt like I, I had the room to be vulnerable and then recover from being vulnerable. So I didn't get that, that, that hangover feeling <laughs> um, that uh, I think I just had so many well-meaning and I appreciate the intent adults in my life who, who wanted me to, who wanted to be that designated space for me, but they wanted to do it at like the, the courtyard after church or like on vacation. And I didn't want, like, that's not the space for that. And that was really frustrating. So I don't know. It's, it's two sides of the, this of the coin, right? Because, or, if that's even the right metaphor, because I know there's plenty of people who I think wish that somebody was there to ask them, like, are you really okay? And they feel like they don't have that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, they feel like people aren't, aren't seeing them on that level. But then on the other side, it's like, there's a point when it's stop asking me. (laughs) Just ask me if I'm okay and not mean it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, to your first point, um, definitely young people and teens grieve very differently than adults. And you're right. Um, in and out, in and out. There's moments of sadness. And then there's moments of, hey, I'm fine. I just want to be with my friends. I just want to have moments of lightheartedness. And let me have it. Um, and um, where adults and especially, um, you know, someone who's just lost a life partner, the heaviness is pretty constant right afterwards. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as a therapist, I've had parents call me up and say, something's wrong with my my young person, my teen. They're not grieving enough. They're not crying. Something's not right. And I'll have to say, you know, actually, they're probably okay. They're just doing it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of psychoeducation going on with parents um, at that stage. And so, you know, knowing the community that you've been raised in, I think you're probably pretty well versed in healthy emotions and knowing, you know, when you need to be able to express yourself and, and when not. But you're right. You need to be able to be in the right space to yeah. be vulnerable and then to put yourself back together 
and the church parking lot vacation. Definitely not when you want to do it. No. Um, But you also have a point that there are some people who do really, really want to be asked, how are you really doing? Because people ask and they don't want to know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But um, different experiences. How has the death of your dad changed your relationship with your mom? Um, I think I've been really lucky in that the two of us got a lot closer. Mm-hmm. Um, we were always, we've always been more similar. I think we'd, we'd always gotten along really well. Um, especially as I've gotten older. I think, I don't know, in just a lot of ways, we were really similar people. And I think, um, I mean, one, we were physically closer, just being in the same house um, for like, I don't know, whole day, no no time apart during the lockdown, but also, um, yeah, but also um, emotionally, I think we just, we got a lot closer. I think we shared a lot more with each other. Um, I think I used to be a lot more of a private person with her. I would still call myself a private person, but I think I'm a lot more of a private person. I was a lot more of a private person with her. I think there was a lot about like my, you know, interior life and like friend struggles and stuff that I was going through at the time that like she didn't know about that I started to more open up about. And I think to this day, she's sort of the person I go to when I need to, I need to talk about something that's happening in my life. Um, so I, that that I value a lot. Like I really appreciate. It. I think she's. I, I'm not somebody who I think would ever call my mom my best friend. I think my whole life I've asserted like she's my mom. She's not my best friend. But I would say she's probably the person I'm like closest to in the world, in just out of anybody. Mm-hmm. And that I think she. She matters. I mean, obviously a lot, but mm-hmm. she's like a priority in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say those first like maybe two lockdown years were rough. (laughs) We were closer, um, but we were also uh, more on each other's nerves than ever. Um, I started to kind of slip into a depression that was awful and I don't really ever want to go back into. Um, And my mom, uh, this is something that she's improved a lot, but has always just been a very anxious person. Um, and that was like on overdrive, um, when it came to everything, to my well-being, to her own well-being, to financial stuff, to, you know, physical fitness, you know, all of that I think was so heightened for her that we just, we had a lot of moments where it felt like I think her anxiety was feeding into me, you know, and I, my schoolwork was dipping and I, I finally got diagnosed with ADHD, I want to say about two years ago, but like that was really just the the setup of being of online school was just not not ideal for me <laughs> in any way. Um, so, yeah. So I think you know my my schoolwork was slipping, and that was making her more anxious because you know she wants she wanted me to pass my junior year, and she wanted me to to make it to my senior year and graduate and and have a normal school year and you know, thinking about the financials of having to pay makeup classes and it just, we, we clashed about a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it wasn't it wasn't really like angry conversations it was like um a lot of like big crying weeping moments and passive aggression and just bleeding anxiety from the both of us and yeah our 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 relationship definitely like slipped before it it started to like really get better that sounds intense so you're now in your second year in college and you yes. moved out of the state. I bet a lot's changed. Yes and no. Okay. I think I'm really lucky in that I got to have my senior year in completely in person. Mm-hmm. Um kind of back to back to normal in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um and I think our relationship really like solidified that year and that I think I was starting to to be a lot more independent and do a lot more things myself. Um, and I think obviously not not completely being that I was what like 18, but becoming, you know, and I'm barely 20 now, but that I was becoming more of an adult. And I think our relationship was sort of starting to like reach that level of that, like we were both more adults living our own lives. Um, and then I went to college and I don't know if it, it changed that much from there. I mean, I sort of found my footing in a way that I don't, I didn't think that I would, which was, which was great. I think I, I started to like, I was better at keeping on top of things and living my own my own life better than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. Um and I still called her all the time like yeah, I I don't know if we had any like significant changes in a lot of ways. Um I think we still sort of talk to each other the same way and when I'm home, I think I it feels similar to my senior year and that we kind of have the same relationship. I mean, obviously there's a lot more that I do on my own now, but I don't know. It's not so different. Yeah. I meant, so things changing with mom, but even just things changing with your thought process, how you think about dad and reflecting back Mm -hmm. on everything. So if you do think about, you know, four years is a big time in maturity level. Um, Um, you know, given age and where you were. So thinking back, what were, after four years now, what were some of the biggest challenges you faced in your grief after dad died? Um, I think I struggled to be I think I struggled to understand like where my where my boundaries were with um vulnerability. I would say that's one of the biggest ones with how much I was willing to to share um especially in feeling like I tended to to overshare and then feel feel that like vulnerability hangover feeling afterwards. Um, that, that, I think just that on a, like a a personal level, but also I think something that I sort of realized immediately after, and I've sort of had to come to terms with is like 
I felt myself, I, I was really frustrated that I didn't get a, I didn't get to have an adult relationship with my dad. Um, and the, my therapist would always ask like, what do you mean by an adult relationship? <laughs> um, so I, I guess I just mean like, I, I didn't feel like I got to relate. I didn't get to relate to him on that level. Nice. My middle school years were really rocky with him. Not, not like awful. Like I wouldn't say like our relationship was, was in a dire position or anything, but we just were missing each other a lot. Um, I think he had expectations for me that I wasn't always meeting and I was frustrated with, you know, his lack of, I don't know, he, my mom is a very, my mom is the kind of person who will tell you she loves you a million times a day and it's very physically affectionate. And I think I wasn't great at always recognizing the ways that he, that he felt like he could say or say or or show his love. And we were, yeah, so we were just like missing each other a lot. And I was highly emotional, just all over the place, puberty, that whole age. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, um, rocky relationship that I think was starting to get better. Like, I feel like we were really starting to, to actually click and, and see each other more. Um, and then he sort of just died out of nowhere. Um, I think the way that I, I used to describe it to my mom was like, I felt like the book just sort of ended. Like, you you know, you finish one chapter and you're expecting another and there's just blank pages. Like, or like someone just cut a string and it's just sort of flapping in the wind. Like, there, there's just nothing. I don't know. It, it ended so abruptly that it felt like there was more, there was more to, to the relationship that I should have had yeah. that sort of just yeah. ended. Yeah. And I, I think I just felt really frustrated by that, that I never got a chance to sort of, I mean, with the way that my mom and I have really clicked as I've gotten older, yeah. um, as we, I mean, partially had to sort of mature together, but also just um, with me getting, getting older and experiencing more of life. Um, I'm sad that I missed that with my dad because I think we were really, really close when I was really little. Um, or even just to like pre-middle school, he was like my favorite person in the world and we had a really close relationship. Um, and I think it would have been nice to, I mean, more than nice. I, for a long time, it felt really, really unfair to me that I didn't get to have that with him. It is unfair. I mean, we get to a point in life where we realize that life is unfair, um, but that was definitely unfair. Yeah. yeah. There's a um, a short film that has a wild name. It's called My Dead Dad's Porno Tapes. But <laughs> it's... I gotta write that one down. <laughs> Tell us but about that, please. It's a wonderful short film that I felt like I felt like such a touchstone to me in those like early years of having just lost him. Um, It's by a filmmaker who lost his dad when he was 19 to like malignant cancer. And so he had a little bit of warning, but his death, especially, I think it happened within sort of months of him finding out that his dad had this cancer. And he sort of talks about like the two of them just having mismatched interests and his dad having 
sort of a, a tricky past with his with his mom and with his family and feeling like not realizing how far his dad had come in being like a much better parent than his his own family had ever been and trying to break the cycles that I that he you know had experienced as a kid um that just like so much of it mapped onto my own experience with my dad and my dad's life um but then you know he gets to that to that realization of like he died when I was 19 and I just felt like one he he never I, I felt his pride even if I didn't always hear it and I wish he got to see me like a flourish and b I wish I got to have a relationship with him as a and like a fellow adult and that we could have related on a level that I don't think we ever could have at, at the age that I was yeah. um and I think that film like had uh it helped me just like define so many of the things that I was I was feeling and I, I would recommend it to everybody who always like asked me what I was feeling about so like every therapist and and teacher and like parent who was like you know like what do you mean by an adult relationship or or how would you you know describe your relationship with your dad I think I would always point to that film and be like I just see so much of myself in it and I I I feel that experience I'm definitely going to put that on my list to watch. Um, But I'm also really glad that you were able to find something else that you were able to connect with and that you could see a part of yourself and um, your relationship with dad. That must have been comforting. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So this question may sound really weird, but um, are there any lessons that you learned in this grief experience that continues on or anything that surprised you? Um, I think I learned to give not just myself, but other people a lot of grace mm-hmm. and to give them the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously not don't not to let yourself get dragged around by horrible people, but to mm-hmm. to pause and have that moment of like, what else is happening here? Um, I'm sure I had a mo- I, I had plenty of moments where I was not an ideal human being, and that was coming out of my own sort of frustration and and unexpressed, or I guess in that moment I was expressing <laughs> uh, grief. Um, that for sure. I think also it's just to understand the like embodied part of, of grief. I mean, one, just, you know, alternate experiences of, of grief beyond just weeping, crying, anger, but also um, things like, like um, how we talked about sort of the adolescent experience of grief, but also um, one of the things that, that I have struggled with since is sort of like somatic pain. And that, like, in the last, so my dad's, you know, as of time of recording, my dad's birthday or anniversary of when his birthday would have been was yesterday. Mm. And the last two days I've had, like, really bad, like, it's almost felt like autoimmune disorder pain, like, weird, sensitive skin and sore muscles and joint pain um, that comes out of nowhere and can't really be fixed by anything. Mm. Um, You know, my mom had a really scary experience where she had a really really sharp chest pain that we went to the urgent care because we were scared like she was having a mild heart attack but you know went away and 
had no other symptoms and all of her tests, you know, she had two, a bunch of lab tests and EKGs and they all cleared. And it was probably just a grief like moment that, that things like that can, can live in your body. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Give other people grace. You know, I'm always telling clients, give yourself grace, but that's a great reminder. Give other people grace as well. So let me wrap this up today by asking you, um, and again, so wonderful for you to come on uh, this age and not, uh, you know, being young is just, it's so helpful because I don't get a lot of young people who are, um, uh, how do I want to say this? Just sorry that this has happened. So sorry at your young age, but so um, just grateful again that you're willing to share this because there are so many other young people in your situation that don't get to hear stories like yours. And so what advice would you give to another teenager who was 16 or who's 20, who's just experienced the sudden death of their father? What would you tell them right now? Hmm. I guess I'd just say give it time. I think... Like, I don't want to say, like, time heals all wounds or any of that kind of BS, but, like... You know, that doesn't work. No. But things... In terms of, like, um, understanding or coming to some level of, like, peace, or... I don't even know if peace is the right word. Just, like... I feel like the the place I'm at now, which is definitely a lot better than it was then, came with both maturing, so just getting older, but two, like, just, like, giving myself time to be, giving myself time and grace to be, I don't know, kinder, better, more mature. Um, to understand who my dad was in my life, you know, his role to understand what my life is now to settle into new roles, to figure out how to function again. I think in the moment it all feels so unreal and devastating that it doesn't feel like it's ever going to be better or ever be ever make sense or there, like there won't ever, there won't ever be a new order to your life, and I don't think that's true. I think it's just something that takes annoyingly that takes time. Yeah. Nicely said. Nicely said. Well, thank you for your time today, and for thank uh, you for having me. Yes, very appreciative. So anyway, Anya Miller, thank you again. And um, looking forward to hearing how you're doing over the next couple of years. And maybe we'll bump into each other in Washington one of these days. Yeah. I have so much gratitude 
towards Anya and Tammy for their willingness to be vulnerable and share their grief experiences with us after Kyoin's death. In most cases, the death of a parent forces adolescents to confront some of the harsh realities and challenges that come with being an adult at an early age. During our interview, Anya acknowledged her awareness of the gaps that now existed after her dad's death and the way her mom, as she put it, stepped up and stepped in in a manner that other peers who had also lost a parent had not. She shared her mom's efforts to take on specific roles and responsibilities that belonged to her dad, while at the same time managing her grief, financial stressors, working and parenting, all which occurred during COVID. Both Anya and Tammy shared grief experiences that they acknowledged during their interviews. For example, both mentioned feeling like the initial experience was a dream or a story that was not real. Anya furthermore elaborated on feelings that she had to perform or act in certain ways to make the grief experience true. Both of them also recognized how quickly Chiron's existence vanished after his death and how difficult it was to feel his presence at home. And finally, they both shared how hard it was to watch one another be in a state of pain and grief after Chiron's death. Anya's experience provided so much insight about how adolescents grieve and how different and often misunderstood adolescents' grief can be from the adults around them. In our interview, she talked about some of the differences she noticed in how adolescents grieve and the expectations she encountered from well-meaning adults around her regarding how she grieved, expressed her emotions, or adults who, excuse me, desired her to share feelings at times when she was just trying to achieve a sense of normalcy or distance from her grief. It was so refreshing to hear her express thoughts such as, can you just accept I'm fine and let's move on. On the flip side, she realized that although these expectations were annoying or she felt misunderstood, there are some adolescents without anyone invested in their emotional well-being after the death of a parent. Perhaps the biggest difference in the grief experience between Tammy and Anya is the relationship they were grieving. Tammy was his wife, his life partner, and they had planned to grow older as a couple. Anya was his daughter, and early in her life, like all children, she was completely dependent on her parents to anticipate and meet her needs while growing up. As she grew from a child to a teenager, her relationship with her mom and dad changed as her identity, beliefs, life experiences, friends, and interests and dreams were maturing as well. For many, there comes a time in the parent-child relationship when a shift occurs and the relation dynamics change. When parents and child can expand the boundaries of their relationship and relate to one another as adults and perhaps even friends. After her dad's death, Anya realized that she was not only grieving the death of her father as a person, but she was also grieving a future loss, the loss of having an adult relationship with her dad. I want to thank Anya for recommending the film, My Dead Dad's Porno Tapes, 
a short film that she said helped her through the grieving process and validated her feelings, especially the part about not being able to have this adult relationship. This film was such a creative expression of grief and meaning and connection between one young man after his dad died from cancer, and it was the father he really never got to know. And I can see why it brought comfort to Anya after I watched it. I am so incredibly thankful to Anya for spending time with me and her willingness to share her story. If you would like to leave a message for her, please post inside our Facebook group talking about the podcast Untethered with Dr. Levin, and we will make sure it gets to her. To learn more about hope and guidance after a sudden or unexpected death, please visit therapyheals.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter, Guidance and Grief, at www.therapyheals.com. Bye for now. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to subscribe to my podcast so you never miss an episode. For guidance and hope with unexpected or sudden death, please visit my website, www.therapyheals.com to learn more about the services we offer. If you would like to share your story on our podcast in service of helping others heal after a sudden or unexpected death, please email us at info at therapyheals.com.